Welcome back, listeners, to this week's episode of If I Only Knew. Today, I'm back here with Fred, continuing our episode about the metaverse, asking what is the future of technology? And this time, we're going to investigate some of the human consequences for such a a reimagining of our digital lives. I'm going to start with a brief uh, monologue about who owns the metaverse, because this is kind of important when it comes to questions of safety and privacy and control over something like uh, a space that we might be inhabiting in the not-too-distant future. The, the world around us isn't particularly owned too much by everyone. We're, we're generally allowed to walk around in a lot of public spaces. But what happens when the physical or the virtual area that you're inhabiting has been designed and created by someone, right? That's, that's a difficult question. In some ways, who owns the metaverse is one of the most controversial questions because Facebook's parent company clearly positioned themselves to be leaders in this space. They called themselves Meta, right? Fred, did you hear about this? I certainly did, and new logos. I didn't really understand why it created controversy. Hi, listeners, Fred here. But it was all over the news. It was, it was. And this is really interesting because it didn't come out of nowhere. But I think, like, it was a little bit unexpected, I would say. So they wanted themselves to be associated with the metaverse, right? They called themselves meta. And I, everyone that I've talked to since then has gone, oh, yeah, the metaverse. All I know about that is that Facebook owns it. Now, in theory, that's not going to be the case, right? Because just like the internet, no single person owns the internet. And the goal of a, a kind of freely accessible metaverse, I suppose, is one in which no one owns the whole thing. Maybe Facebook or Meta owns a space on the metaverse, but perhaps they don't own the whole thing. Now, this might be a bit of a utopian vision, Fred, because people like to own things. We have a lot of patent laws. We have a lot of uh, copyright laws. And maybe the danger or the risk here is that these big corporations just control and own the metaverse. The problem with that, of course, becomes safety and privacy because these corporations have, have a profit motive in which they're out there to maintain your attention, keep you sucked into the virtual world, perhaps. And they've also got a profit motive to collect your data, to sell your information, which could be far more dangerous if you're virtually embodied in an actual space online. might be a little bit more risky for people to know your online activities than it is when you're just kind of scrolling through a two-dimensional uh, website. So I think privacy and safety are big concerns here, and we don't really know how they'll be policed or managed. So I'm guessing, Fred, that, you know, privacy on the internet and stuff is is something that you think about a little bit, right? Well, I I get a bit concerned about it from the perspective of if we had a conversation today, uh, I'm not a fashion plate, Matt, I know you know this because you can (laughs) see me, but I do like a good pair of men's boots. Right, yeah. Okay? And if we say the word men's boots enough... Mm. and I jump onto social media in a little bit, I'm going to get bombarded by ads that are locally accessible retailers of men's boots. Yeah. So that stuff worries me only in so far as, uh, if people remember from our last episode, the metaverse is you stepping into a virtual reality space to perhaps engage and interact in a way that you wouldn't uh, in traditional 2D internet space. Yeah. You know, and it's going into a store and trying on clothes. My concern is that the metaverse would then restrict me to products and retailers, for example, that only paid to advertise yeah. in that space. Yeah. And that sort of manipulation is a bit of a worry for me because it kind of takes choice and control out of the market for a consumer. Am I right about that matter or am I missing the point? No, look, I think that's a really reasonable concern. And this is definitely the first kind of human consequence of the metaverse, right? You're, you're inhabiting a space that's being controlled and curated by someone else. And so what does that look like? Well, without good regulation, without good kind of 
codes of conduct, I think that's a perfectly reasonable uh, description of what might happen in the metaverse, right? You only get to access certain areas that have paid to be um, on the uh, on the list of a certain corporation or whatever. Now, I'm sure there are people who would disagree that it will, certainly won't look like that, but uh, I, I think that's a very reasonable fear for it. And, you know, data collection might be a little bit easier and a little bit more com- convincing uh, when you're in the, in the actual three-dimensional virtual reality, right? Because if, if they can just, like, track your eye movement, Fred, and they can see how long you looked at a certain billboard in the, in the metaverse that you're in, they can go, oh, yeah, they like that billboard more than they like this billboard. And that way our marketing analytics can do more of that billboard, right? I don't like that idea. That does yeah. not seem good. I've uh, got a little bit of a, a little bit of a thought for myself where I reckon the modern world has eroded like randomness in our lives, right? Instead of randomly going, oh yeah, I, I feel like I want to buy a new pair of shoes or I'm feeling like ice cream today or whatever. Instead, we get triggered by a billboard that we see that says ice cream and I go, oh yeah, I want ice cream. That's not randomness in the same way to me. And I'm concerned that the kind of control that some designing corporations might have over the metaverse could further take away that randomness that I think is actually quite important to like a good, well-lived human life. Um, And so that's something that concerns me when it comes to our safety and privacy when we're inhabiting this virtual space. There's certainly the concept, and and psychologically we talk about conditioning, Matt. Mm. You would have all heard of Pavlov's dog. Of course. Um, The difference is in a virtual space uh, and the Pavlovian concept, we're not just responding to a stimuli that leads to some form of reward, but the analytics and the capacity to track. uh, So you talked about a billboard. It might not necessarily be just the product on the billboard, but the analytics are giving much more data about the preferred color of a billboard, yeah. the font of a billboard, you know, the images on a billboard. So we're starting to really uh, look at a space that allows you to actually unbundle human preference in a way that's down to, you know, nano data, if you like. As mm. you said, it's the idea of how much longer in, in milliseconds does the eye linger on a purple billboard versus a royal blue yeah. in virtual space. And it's the idea in our last episode, we talked about the idea of the view from the peak of Everest. I'd hate to have to then get past a paywall so I didn't have to uh, see the billboard at the base camp of the view of the peak of Everest selling me soft drink yeah, or, yeah, you know, yeah. something to that effect. And it's interesting how you talk about taking out the spontaneity out of human behaviour. One of the aspects of that is always wanting to make sense and categorise what we see. Right, yeah. The virtual space allows um, uh, through algorithms to sort of jump that code, if you like, and, and relying on our need to classify and clarify and put things into boxes as a way of manipulating what we see and what we what we experience. And I guess the issue for me, Matt, is we can see it now through current advertising and the internet in that the right sort of information in the wrong hands becomes truth. Mm, mm, yeah. So what does the metaverse do for the capacity to create misinformation, lies and propaganda And it can be very subtle depending on who owns it. How would you feel about, Matt, I'm just going to ask you this question, Uh the Fox News ownership of a place (laughs) on the metaverse? Yeah, yeah. No disrespect to that fine establishment 
who we don't want to be sued by. But, you know, given that Matt has a different worldview to perhaps the Fox News program, how does that fit for you, Matt? No, well, that's right. And, like, equally, there'd surely have to be, like, spaces owned by other perhaps more progressive news uh, outlets, right? And so, like, this idea that you may be just end up in your own echo chamber that's something we've heard a lot about in social media does that just get worse when you're suddenly only walking into the the virtual buildings or the virtual rooms or the virtual spaces owned by these like news establishments or whatever maybe you sit in one of their virtual waiting rooms and you see their news stations playing on the tv or something and that's how you you get your news for the day or whatever um i definitely think that's a worry and look misinformation is a really difficult one because i kind of think there's this real kind of human motive to be misinformed in some ways or at least to maintain an echo chamber of some sort because we're comfortable in the things we know we're comfortable in the things we're familiar with and so i kind of feel like the metaverse would just give another tool to promote this kind of I don't want to learn anything different. I just want to sit in my own familiarity and what's comfortable for me. By the same token, though, Matt, if it's not owned and controlled by any one individual, it has the opposite opportunity. It it allows people to go out and experience things outside of their echo chamber that they believed were taboo or wrong or uh, somehow salacious. Mm. And the the example I give is the internet... um, created a great challenge for organized religion Mm, mm. because all of a sudden you can learn about the the real life of john smith the founder of the mormon church or the real life of l ron hubbard the founder of scientology and it's funny that those faith-based organizations often talk about how demonic the internet can be right whereas i wonder if you were able to virtually experience friday prayers at a mosque if that might change your opinion on how you feel about that faith and give you an insight into the elegant the interesting yeah the you know the art the ritual of different culture so do you think that the concept of titrating information is only a corporate concern because my fear is it's a space where you sell stuff yeah 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 as opposed to a library where you can go and experience stuff that has no profit motive yeah 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 oh look it's a tough one because look i i have a little bit of a thought on this where i feel like the internet was built bottom up it was kind of built by hobbyists and people who were just kind of doing what they were doing on the internet wanted to be connected Um, i think it came out of like some very initially came out of some uh, researchers at universities who wanted to connect their uh, data and their research, right? And then it kind of grew from there. And eventually the internet itself produced technology giants like Google or Facebook or whatever, and they have then gone on to be very profitable and sell things, right? Um, I'm kind of worried that the metaverse is being produced from a top-down approach, Fred, where we've got the corporations in the first place that were spawned by the internet that are now pushing to develop the metaverse. And so I think that's a very fair concern you have about this just like corporatized cell space. Um, I think that's really fair. I think that it's not like inevitable that it ends up that way though. At the very least, I would expect that the opportunity to kind of be physically and virtually connected to your peers, your family, your friends, whatever, in this virtual reality space would be um, a real driving motive to, to make this kind of stuff um at least not about selling items now maybe that space itself gets sold fred which might be a little bit concerning is like oh if you want a room to to catch up with your family who live in another country you've got to rent it for however many virtual reality bucks or whatever fred 
But I think that that might almost be just like a, an extension of our capitalistic world. But maybe that's a bit too philosophical for this right now. But it makes sense, though. You talk about the idea of there is no space, virtually or otherwise, that people don't try to monetize. We yeah. rent on properties. We, we you know purchase land and all of these sorts of things. So it is a new economy. Mm. Um, in the concept, in the in the face of new economy, Matt. Uh, there are some aspects that we know that this technology lends itself to. And I know from a technological perspective, there are, it's a concept called early adopters, those that dive into these things. And there's a subset of people on the internet that are early adopters and that's the gamers and you've recognized yourself as sure, a gamer. Yeah. I have a question about that in terms of some of the concern about virtual reality and gaming, is that it's so immersive? Yeah. And it's a little bit different on an old arcade machine when you're, playing you know the street fighter 2 and sure. you're, you're doing a, a spin kick and an uppercut and a fireball versus actually being the person holding the weapon you know shooting at you know the innocent bystander and grand theft 72 right. yeah, or something. yeah 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 now don't get me wrong i'm not barking mad and i don't believe that video games necessarily link to antisocial behavior but do you think there's a risk that this virtual space disinhibits people and that might bleed into the real world a hundred percent and look i think one of the main kind of like i guess psychological and behavioral concerns about something that does like virtually put you into another space is this distinction between the physical and virtual worlds like is there something that is like privileged and prioritized about our physical world that like we might lose if people can just lose themselves in a virtual world, right? If, if they like being the hero in the game that they are able to be virtually, why would they come out of the, the metaverse to, to live their normal standard life? And I think there'd be real human costs to something like that because it's, it, you know, it's a bit, it could well be a bit of an addiction and also a bit of a like attractive addiction as well, Fred, to kind of let go of the, the costs of the physical world and that kind of thing. I, I definitely see that. Um, I think there's kind of two things that maybe pushes back against that, just the tiniest bit. Um, I think that's a very fair concern. How do we distinguish between physical and virtual realities and what does that mean? I think culturally and socially, we've got a lot of challenges to deal with that. My, my tiny pushbacks are, in the first place, I think the internet, the internet already does that just a little bit. Right, yeah. um, where people do just lose themselves on their computers playing these games. I expect it would be more attractive in the metaverse, but I think we don't want to characterize the metaverse as presenting a new evil in this way. And the second pushback is I think that there might be there might be something about being virtually placed into a new area that might be a little bit more like physically and healthily engaging than sitting down at your computer playing games. Yeah. Now, this might be a tiny bit controversial, and I'm sure that there'd be games in the metaverse that don't do this, but if you have to be playing Grand Theft Auto 76, but you've got to be literally running towards the bystanders as they run away from you so you can shank them or whatever, it's going to be a lot more difficult, Fred, than holding down the W key on my keyboard and yeah. running up to them and um, stabbing them that way. So yes, more immersive, but maybe there's like some more of the physical inhibitors and, and physical challenges that exist in the real world that make that kind of behavior just a little bit more difficult and less desirable. And also, you know, if you are spending 
12 hours a day gaming. If you're spending those 12 hours standing up, swinging a sword in your virtual reality headset or whatever, maybe that's more physically engaged than sitting down at your computer. And also maybe you can't do that for 12 hours, right, Fred? Maybe you have to take it off because you're exhausted. Um, I might be a bit optimistic with that particular take because uh, I do think the physical and virtual distinction is going to be a difficult thing to grapple with. But I I think the the risk to people... Uh, having the the ethics of the virtual space bleed into their real world is no greater or lesser based on the metaverse. Mm. I think you've said from a from a, a, a pluses perspective, and we're going to talk a lot more about this in our next episode. The idea that the metaverse allows you know your standard stereotypical gamer to get ten thousand steps in and some cardio. Uh, rather than sit there and let two fingers do the walking on a keyboard. And I totally agree with that as well. It also speaks to the idea that in the current environment and the metaverse, you can be whoever you want to be. So you can look like Dwayne The Rock Johnson and be able to you know, bench press a car in the metaverse. Yeah. And the appeal of that and the, the seductive capacity to pretend... Uh, are facilitated and again as you've said that's a current risk and a current reality in the metaverse but it's also a current risk and a current reality in you know digital communication and the internet as it speaks so it's not going to heighten the risk it may heighten the capacity to play out the fantasy though which is interesting one of the things that has co-opted the internet is the salacious side of life we know that um, it changed and democratised things like adult entertainment almost overnight. Mm. Do you see that uh, as a risk or a corruption of this virtual mm-hmm. technology? Is it being a way to, for people to act out on, you know, less socially desirable fantasy in a way that, you know, is a little bit exploitative, is a little bit dangerous? What are your thoughts on that, you know, that adult entertainment and intimacy space. Yeah, well, friend, look, it's a really, a really important one because as you said, the internet has had a huge impact on this, right? I kind of feel like there's a lot of like more social moral panics around these kind of ideas. Um, and it's, so it's one that I sometimes don't maybe dismiss more than I should dismiss it, right? Because I feel like there's a lot of people out there who are already talking about it who are saying, oh, we're all going to be getting sex robots in 20 years and it's going to ruin the moral character of our society or whatever. And I think that's a little bit insane. Nonetheless, exactly as you've said, these are important concerns that should be talked about and thought about. I do think that it absolutely poses a risk because we know the addictive qualities of these things, of of sexual gratification, of adult entertainment, that kind of stuff. And, And that's dangerous. And I think the more immersed you are in it, probably the more, uh, the more difficult it becomes. There's a, an interesting thought that I have, and I, I, I can't speak on this authoritatively, Fred, because I have no personal experience in it, but um, these kinds of virtual reality, like porn and stuff, already do exist. And I, I haven't heard, and like, you know, I spend time on the internet, I haven't heard of them being like huge surge of popularity that takes over the, the existing kind of habits of people with uh, online porn already or whatever. So I haven't heard it being the most revolutionary, amazing thing to engage in these activities in virtual reality over like what we currently have. I don't know if that will change as we get better at it, um, as the technology improves, but I think it's worth considering that these things are already pretty difficult 
on the internet as it is right now. Um, and I'm not sure if the metaverse and this virtual reality changes our experiences of that too much. Um, perhaps I'm being overly optimistic here, and I, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on this topic, uh, <laughs> Fred, but I, it seems interesting to me that the current iterations of virtual reality pornography doesn't seem to have taken the internet by storm, at least from the spaces that I inhabit. And I think one of the things to be, you know, in a mature conversation about this sort of scenario, there is a pros and cons just on that micro issue. Mm. So the idea that it would allow an immersive experience into something where people may not have access to that or people may want to explore consensual activity in a different way mm. is not necessarily inherently good or bad, but it has its definite advantages. You talked about the idea of the scenario where people are worried about sex robots and, and that sort of <laughs> yeah. deviant behaviour that already exists. I think the, the broader issue that people would have is the same issue they have with the internet and before the internet, the same issue they had with print media and before print media, probably the same issue they had with cave drawings is that if we start to express those things that people believe are taboo, uh, like sex in general or, or intimacy needs, then all of a sudden it's something that, you know, dissolves the fabric of society. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think the metaverse has uh, any, in my opinion, psychologically, it's no better or worse, but as the technology gets better, it may become more addictive because yeah. there's more stimulation that can come through. Yeah. At the moment, we're talking about virtual reality that's largely sight and sound and movement. Uh, what it doesn't have is the other senses, taste, touch, smell, which are all, yeah. very, all very important to reinforce certain behaviours. Matt, if you start to think about the idea of development through the internet, do you think that from a developmental perspective, an education perspective, mm. let's think about primary school kids, what do you think the metaverse offers and what do you think you'd be a bit wary of if you were giving this technology to, say, schools for sixth graders to learn about geography? Yeah, awesome. Look, uh, there's there's a really interesting question of like, what, what social norms do you learn as a child if you spend lots of time in a virtual space instead of a physical space, right? Maybe you don't learn the same norms about touching people and personal space and that kind of thing. And maybe that's a concern for children, especially if they've got this in their homes rather than in school and they've been doing this a lot, right? Um, so, so look, developmentally and educationally, like I definitely think that there are, we've got to question what norms we impart on children but i also think children aren't stupid they don't only absorb messages from one place a child can learn a a set of social standards for the virtual world and they can learn, learn a set of social standards for the physical world as well um so i think that that's that's like the kind of developmental side of things education wise is super interesting and look i think we probably should do education uh, most of education in the positives uh, episode next but um there are some worries about maybe it just kind of changes the way young people now see the world around them like if you can go into the metaverse at 10 and you can just see that oh i can get anything i can i can go anywhere i can see anything does that then become your expectation 
for the rest of your life, for the rest yeah. of the world around you. I kind of, and this this maybe is a bit controversial, but I kind of think that the huge access to information that we have through the internet has skewed my personal expectation about my knowledge and about my competency. I think that because I can know everything in the world, Fred, maybe I should, um, because there is so much information out there. And I wonder if, if like some children, if they, if they get that too early, might feel kind of similarly about the, the kind of deficits of the physical world because they've uh, been exposed to such a, in many ways, idyllic virtual world. Look, there's certainly pros and cons when it comes to um, access to information. And we're going to talk about the pros very much so moving forward. I guess the issue that the metaverse creates for me um, psychologically is this idea of what becomes true. And I don't mean those that struggle to differentiate between real life and a virtual reality space, because if they're doing it, it is their real life. It's more about the idea that it is purpose built to manipulate perception. Yeah. Now, whether that's to buy a pair of jeans, vote a certain way, feel a certain way about an ethnic group, have certain opinions about freedom, have certain opinions about water rights, it can all be manipulated. And, and the other thing that I worry about with the metaverse, uh, Matt, is that the value of the metaverse is not the user experience. It's the data that it captures for the people that capture the data. Yeah. And how much of what's in my head do I want to give away? Yeah. Versus, you know what, if you want it, pay me for it. Yeah. Now, the same way that you might pay me to get that virtual meeting space for my family if you're going to advertise to me, there's got to be some sort of reciprocity and value there. Right, yeah. And I think the internet does a little bit of that now. I think if you go on to certain sites, you can either say there's a paywall where you get no ads or there's a certain service where you do. Um, and we know how people feel about that. When Netflix said it might start putting ads on its platform, it lost a percentage of its users literally overnight and therefore yeah. the value of the company. So we know that we want to get certain things. I think the only other issue I have with the metaverse is this concept of instant gratification. Mm. If I'm bored and I want to talk to somebody, I can go on to Facebook and see who's online. Mm. If I'm bored and want to be a voyeur and look at uh, the lives of those around me, I can jump on social media and look at their photos of their kids and their food yeah. and you know their travels. If I, um, in theory, if I'm feeling a bit energetic, uh, lying in bed, I can jump on a game and pew, 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 you sure, know, these yeah. sort of things. You know, so this, this instant gratification becomes a little bit of a trap when I think about uh, kids, not necessarily education, but the idea that, that the metaverse evolving allows us to meet needs without effort yeah. is a bit of a concern for me. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Because, hey, you know, virtually I can walk on the Great Wall of China, but if I can do it without getting sore feet, um, you know, have I really experienced... Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I think physical and virtual distinction in something like exactly that, is that a, a, an experience in exactly the same way? And is there a problem if it's not, is the next question there. But, yeah, as, as these important things I think that we're going to have to grapple with if this does become the next internet. This has been a, a, a fantastic part two of what will become a part three. Yeah, a bit surprising, but very good. Three-parter. Uh, well, look, we're talking about, you know, to boldly go, this is very much a uh, new space. 
Um, not to not to suggest that it's the only new space. We have outer space exploration, even our oceans. We know less about them than we do about space. But mm. for now, we're talking about this thing that goes over people's eyes and sits in your living room for a lot of people at the moment in developed nations. And it has implications for the human condition. Thank you again, Matt. I learnt a hell of a lot today from you about your thoughts on the metaverse. And I look forward to coming back for part three where we look at the opportunities and benefits of this technology and where it can take us um, in ways that don't exist right now. So tune in next week, same time, same channel, same two people talking. Thank you, Matt. Excellent. Thanks very much, Fred. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Better Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.